Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the first episode of the Wisdom Extra podcast in partnership with Betfair Exchange. I'm your host, Joe Harmon. As well as bringing you a daily podcast throughout the World Cup, once a week we'll be bringing you a little something extra, a special bumper show digesting all the action so far and looking forward to the week ahead with a sprinkling of expert betting tips for those of you that way inclined. So, the 2000 Men's Cricket World Cup is very nearly upon us. Australia, so poor for much of the last few years, are suddenly on the charge, continuing their good recent form by beating England in a close match at Southampton, before England got back to winning ways by thumping Afghanistan by nine wickets to the Oval. Meanwhile, Trent Bolt reminded us that ODI cricket doesn't always have to be a batsman's game, taking four wickets as New Zealand comfortably beat India at the Oval. All of which, to be honest, doesn't matter very much. The real stuff starts on Thursday at the Oval, as England take on South Africa in the opening match of the 2019 Cricket World Cup. Uh, we've got some fantastic guests lined up for you over the coming weeks, and we've started as we mean to go on. I'm delighted to welcome spinner, singer, pundit, dancer, and Betfair ambassador, Graham Swan. Thanks for joining us, Woody. My pleasure. I'm glad you got singer and dancer in there, because, you know, that's the, They're the most important ones. Yep. Uh, also joining us is a titan of the press box and one of the most respected voices in the game, Wisden Almanac editor and Daily Mail cricket writer, Lawrence Booth. Thanks for having me. No singing or dancing, but I'll try and make up for it now. <laughs> and in his favoured number three slot is the Editor-in-Chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Yeah, cheers, Joe. Thanks for having me. Uh, what, 48 hours away from it? It's all about to go off this tournament. We're good to go. Uh, so each week I'll be asking our guests what they've learned from the previous week's action. Uh, Lawrence, let's start with you. What's expanded your mind this week? I reckon David Warner hasn't changed. There was a little moment, Southampton on Saturday catches Johnny Bairstow, his new best mate from Sunrisers Hyderabad, not long after he'd called him every name under the sun at the previous Ashes. He catches him, and because he'd been booed and hissed by the, the Southampton crowd, he turns to the crowd and he just stares at them for about five seconds and then rejoins his mate. I thought, yeah, never change. I couldn't agree more, actually, Lars. I think he might be the easiest fire to poke I've ever seen, and I think every bowler in the world has seen that as well, and he will get fearfully poked by the bowlers. We didn't think he'd change, though, did we? Well, he went from being the bull to the reverend to the bull, so who knows what he is now. But um, you could add another word to bull, couldn't you? And, and it's a decent form as well. He is. I'd he's in great form. IPL, he was, I mean, he, he, he's a frightening factor for Australia, I think, this tournament. Uh, Swanee, what have you learned this week? Nothing much. The warm-up games are an absolute waste of time. <laughs> um, the, the game down at Southampton. People were being charged 25 quid to watch that. 
It was a warm-up game after 10 overs because England players were getting injured so frequently. Johnny Burstow ran around the boundary so timidly and didn't want to dive, understandably, to get injured. So he just did a, a double-kick flick-up with his feet to his hand and threw it in. I thought it was brilliant from Johnny. <laughs> but this sort of thing you see in training all the time and not in an international match. So if you're going to have warm-up games, you have to make them full international caps. That's to the ICC. OK, that's what we've learned from Swanee. And Phil, what, what have you learnt? Uh, well, I've learned that Afghanistan are going to charm us, charm the birds from the trees for the next few weeks. Their, their performance against Pakistan, albeit, you know, you have to couch it that it's a warm-up. Their performance to chase down 265-odd and do it uh, maturely, you know, and, and with a kind of a slow heartbeat. There's that assumption, that lazy assumption that with Afghanistan, they're just going to go out blazing and they're going to have a good time, but not a long time. Well, they didn't show that against Pakistan. They bowled brilliantly. They fielded well. And then they held it together with the bat to see, to see them home. I interviewed Rashid Khan yesterday morning as well. Um, you know, he's 21 year old. He's a seriously impressive young man. Um, he lives in a house with 35 bedrooms um, back in Afghanistan where his whole family lives there. He doesn't go out at all in Afghanistan. He daren't face, face the outside world. He's the most famous person in that part of the world. Uh, and yet he seems just to cruise through it. You know, there, there doesn't appear to be any evidence of pressure on the, on the, the kids' shoulders whatsoever. Uh, he's pound for pound probably the best uh, wrist spinner out there. Although he says he's not a wrist spinner, incidentally. He says he's a finger spinner because he holds it right at the tips of his fingers. Uh, and he's got obviously Mo Nabi behind him as well, plus uh, Majir as well, who we'll come to later on, I guess. Um, they're going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, they're going to they're going to charm the birds from the trees. I think we should just back up a little bit. Thirty-five bedroom house. Yeah. Money goes a long way up north, doesn't it? <laughs> Having said all that about Afghanistan, I was at the Oval uh, yesterday to see them get absolutely thrashed by England, and they were not there for a good time or a long time. Uh, some of the shots their batsmen were playing. It looked like they were kind of. It was almost like they were kind of like we're ready for the World Cup. Let's just let's just get this, get this done. Uh, the way they were playing Arch, there's one brilliant uh, blind pull shot that went for four uh, from Hazratullah, but he didn't last for too long after that one. Um, obviously, predictions are a mugs game, so let's let's all play at being mugs. It, yeah, yeah <laughs> let's. Let, I was shot. I've been quite confident about England's chances until yesterday. I read that Glenn McGrath has said that England are favourites to win it, which is some. He's playing some kind of awful mind games there. Uh, this makes me feel very uncomfortable. But I mean, that's the most English thing I've ever heard said. <laughs> oh my God! Someone says we're going to win. What are they doing? What is their alternative ulterior motive? Um, I think we've every right to be confident, and I think this team our favourites because they won't worry about uh, being favourites. Um, forget what you've seen in a, in a warm-up game whatever the other day. That was the most meaningless game I've ever seen in my life. The Pakistan series, for me, proved that England are justifiable favourites because they won four games, three from positions that you'd expect them to win, but one from a position where 12 months ago they'd have lost the game at Trent Bridge. Ben Stokes um, maturely saw them home that I didn't think was that, that there was a plan B I didn't think England possessed or were capable of possessing so I just think all these youngsters they're not very English in their way of thinking as in old fashioned as in my generation who would think or oh, would rather be underdogs rather like come up on the outside undetected sort of thing no th this team are very brash they're very brazen um, some would say thick as two short planks. I'm not going to go down that line. They don't know the meaning of sort of fear and of failure. They'll just go for their shots. They'll go for victories. And I think that makes them um, happily um, to sit there with a tagger of tournament favourites. So Glenn McGrath, I think, is just genuinely saying, he's saying it as he sees it, as Australians do. Yeah. Our mate, a bit of team than we are. 
and, and, and waiting for the English to go, oh my God, what does he mean? Well, Owen Morgan, Owen Morgan yesterday was asked that question, how does the favourites tag sit with you? And he said, it's, it's a great compliment. Obviously, I'd rather be a favourite than, than not a contender. Which is, yeah. which is why he's the greatest catcher we've ever had in one-day cricket. He was also asked to compare the last few days to four years ago ahead of the last World Cup. And he said they were having meetings every, every other hour deciding what the batting lineup should be, their tactics. And he said, tomorrow I'm going to go and play a lot of golf, uh, which, which kind of sums up where this, this England team are now. Well, so it rained yesterday. I don't think it rained just before the game in Melbourne four years ago. Um, does that mean, are England your winners? Are you predicting? For me, I'd, I'd say the fact that there's only two knockout games right at the end and it's a league format, I think England are winners, yeah. Uh, and beating who in the final? India. In the final? That would just be incredible. That is the final that everyone, the purists want to see, surely. Yeah, well, that's, that, I'm going with the same, England beating India in the final. How about a player of the tournament and a, and a rising star? Right, my rising star is from West Indies, who I... I I say England-India final. The West Indies, I think, could be like the shock nation. And I say that. I mean, people, they won the Champions Trophy not too many years ago. They win T20 World Trophies all the time. The West Indies could be incredible because they're mercurial to the you know, nth degree. But at the moment, they've got the biggest power hitters and some of the classiest batsmen in the world. And my tip for the rising star is Nicholas Poran for the West Indies. I saw him in the IPL. Trust me, this guy drives the ball like Brian Lara. He looks gorgeous. I'm not saying he's Brian Lara, by the way. But this kid's got some talent. He's not frightened of, uh, of clearing the boundaries. I think he's one to watch. He's my rising star. Uh, and a player of the tournament? Player of the tournament. I'm going to appease all our Indian fa- fans out there, and I'm going to go for Virat Kohli, just because he's just glorious. He's the best, aesthetically, the best batsman in the world, best man to watch. Um, I don't think he's the most destructive at the moment. He plays more, more of an old-fashioned game compared to the likes of Joss Butler. But yeah, veer out for me. Jason, Laurent, t- tell us how the uh, tournament's going to unfold. I, I fear our listeners are going to ask for their money back because I'm going for England to beat India in the final. I mean, look, the, the problem is you, you can have a good stab at guessing the four semi-finalists. And after that, it's, you know, England lost to Pakistan in the Champions Trophy semi-final two years ago when they, they kind of bottled it, basically. They went away from the game that had got them to... You know, top, approaching top of the world rankings at that point, they've got to make sure that doesn't happen again. Some kind of collective meltdown. You know, what Sony was saying about Stokes was interesting because he seems to have adopted a new a new style. He's decided to rein it in a bit. He's almost like the second Joe Root in that top seven, someone they can bat around, which is interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if you know if he has to go berserk, he can probably still do it. But I think they've, they've, that that's a slight tweak in the in the top seven, which shows that they're 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 attempting to adapt. Um, look. If England set India 350 in the final and Virat Kohli scores 170 not out, what can you do? That's, that's perfectly possible. He averages something like 95 in successful run chases. He scored 2100s in successful run chases, which is just absolutely frightening. Just got to make sure you get 450 rather than 350. Exactly. Get four, or get the 500 that Kohli was taunting England about sort of chasing um, the, the other day. So, you know, it, it's anyone's game in the semis, but England have... They've beaten every team in the world in the last four years. I think West Indies, as Swanee mentioned, the only team they haven't won a bilateral series against. That was two all earlier this year, basically, because Chris Gale went mad in it, 39 sixes. But you'd be disappointed if it wasn't England in you in the final and England lifting up the trophy. Lawrence, can I just go back to your point about Ben Stokes? You wrote a piece as well for Wisdom.com last week, um, respectfully asking a few questions about where, where Ben's game is in the 50-over in the game. You say he's trying to... <sighs> develop his style to be kind of like a Joe Root light or a Joe Root Mark II. Do you, are you convinced by, by his ability to pull that off? Not, not entirely. I mean, he, he did bat brilliantly in that Trent Bridge ODI to England the over the line. Out, yeah. The problem is, if he's on 12 off 22 balls and then gets out, it doesn't 
it doesn't look very clever. Joe has a great ability just to get 50 every time. My other worry about Stokes is he's not bowling as much as probably like him to. It doesn't, he doesn't quite balance the team like he did a year or two years ago. He's, if he's only bowling four or five overs in innings, you know, that puts pressure on some of the other guys. Although, essentially, he did bowl very well against uh, Australia the other day. He bowled eight overs after Woody went off injured. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I hope he... I hope he balances the team a bit better than he has done since his return from suspension. He's not a natural singles maker, is he? You know, he doesn't he's not he doesn't get going straight away and the breakdown of his innings is quite interesting that from naught to ten it takes him on average kind of twenty, twenty foot twenty three deliveries and yet he kicks on from there on in. But he's not a natural uh, manipulator of the strike when he first gets going. Well, part of the reason is he's not a great player of spin bowling. So when he goes in a lot of the time a spinner's on and he's either block, 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 get your eye in, or attempt a sweep shot or a big shot and get out. And I think what he's done is successfully learned that playing the big shot against a spin, the sweep, will get him out. So I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to play down the ground. I'm going to get myself in, then back myself and catch up. You're right, he's not Joe Root because Joe has a magnificent ability. He doesn't soak up many balls at the start of his innings. He just scores at a run of a runner ball. Um, that's something that Ben Stokes could work on I think just his first 10 balls when you get in your eye and you can still get a run a ball by guiding it down to third man it's what a lot of the best players in the world do um, but I like Stokes I think he's not in anywhere near the form he was sort of two years ago but he was in a magnificently purple patch at that point I wouldn't be surprised if he comes good during the World Cup and just you know from the, the back end in it's all about peaking at the right time but halfway through the group stage he suddenly smashes 100 off about 50 balls and then um gets 10 for an 150 not out against the Aussies great <laughs> and you talk you talk about that that new role that he's do you think that's deliberate or do you think that's come about perhaps because his form hasn't been what it was and he's had to play in a different way to get himself back into some form well in that piece I wrote for the wisdom website I was speculating very amateur psycholo- psychologically about whether there's some some part of him wants to show that he can be responsible because of what happened in Bristol that night and the whole that was an awful period in his life and uh, he he, might, he thought he might go to prison, he thought he might be banned, all sorts of things going on. And whether subconsciously he just wants to show that he's, he's matured. And I, mean, he, I remember last summer he came back against India at Trent Bridge, he got 50 off 100 balls. It was the slowest 50 by an England player in a decade. And he thought, wow, something's going on here. And he hasn't quite shaken that off yet. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see what, what kind of Ben Stokes emerges at this tournament. Uh, your player of the tournament and your rising star, Lawrence? Player of the tournament, I'm going for Jason Roy. Um, Good shout. He 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 had suffered a back spasm playing for Surrey on April the twenty third, and he didn't get back out uh, on the field for England until May the eleventh. And some people worried about that because they say he's a he's a form player. He needs a, he needs a good run at things to get back in form. But since since then, he scored eighty seven, seventy six, and one hundred and fourteen against Pakistan, thirty two and eighty nine or forty six against Af- Af- Afghanistan, uh, Australia first, and Afghanistan. So. He's in form, and he's probably the form player. If him and Besto get going, if they're scoring 100 off 12 overs each time, how, how do England get beaten? I mean, he, Roy could hold the key for England, I think. Well, they average more as an opening partnership than any other opening partnership in the history of ODI cricket, uh, which is, and, and that's when they score at a, a ridiculous rate as well. It's, it seems astonishing, not only the, the, kind of the cleanness of their hitting, but the consistency with which they do it now. It's almost like they're not even taking risks despite scoring yeah. at seven runs and over. Well, I'll tell you what it is. They're playing a game that we used to laugh and joke about when I was growing up, when 280 was considered an, an insurmountable total. Um, where they hit fours and sixes, don't get out. That's what you say. Fours and sixes, don't get out. No risks. That's exactly what they say, what they do, like you say. Um, and all it is, is a belief. Or maybe not a belief you can do it. Maybe a complete disregard 
of the fear of failure. Yeah, yes, I could get out, but who cares? I'm not going to get out. Um, just like, you know, when Tiger Woods started winning golf tournaments by 15 shots, it wasn't because he was being conservative and not making mistakes. It's because he was just being aggressive every single shot he played. That's what's happened in one-day cricket. People have realised how, how many limitations we used to put on ourselves as cricketers by thinking 250 was a good score, by thinking 300 was insurmountable, by never think, thinking 400 was a pipe dream. These kids just don't think like that. Ten, ten years ago or so, Graham, when you were right in the heart of that 50-over side, is it fair to say that some of the players around that time were a bit underwhelmed about going to play 50-over cricket and that since... Since the game's been liberated, it's kind of got a new lease of life. I don't think they were underwhelmed. I think they just, I think that it was seen as sort of an ex, a shortened form of Test cricket. Um, certainly in England, the, the way we used to go about it with all the stats-based thing and scoring two thirty-four, we'll win eighty-four percent of the games and stuff like that was absolute. I mean, just the most ridiculous nonsense you can possibly describe. Um, and when you look back now, I mean, it's just before that two thousand fifteen World Cup, where New Zealand. South Africa and Australia had sort of seen the light and we're saying, right, we're going to get 400 now every time we bat and we're going to tee off from the word go. England were going with, you know, four test opening players or a top four of test cricket because they thought, come on, this is Australia, two white new balls, you're going to need proper test batsmen at the top of the order. And I mean, that wasn't just a humiliation, that World Cup. I mean, we were the laughing stock of world cricket. And look at the team we actually had out. We had some of the world's best cricketers playing in that team, but not the world's best one-day cricketers. And thankfully, they've, they've gone away from getting the world's best test players. Sir Alison Cook, I love you dearly, but you know he shouldn't have been in that one-day team. Ian Bell, exactly the same. Possibly the finest technical player I've ever played with. But Jason Roy and Alex Hales were then sort of waiting in the wings. Johnny Burser, they all should have been playing at the time. So thankfully, sometimes you have to get to the absolute rock bottom to get back to the top and, and that's what they did I, w I wanted to take you back to 2011 as well which I was doing a piece on it earlier it was a kind of extraordinary tournament from England because in, in some ways they were like the team in the tournament you couldn't we you couldn't not watch you guys because yeah. if you remember 2011 it's the worst World Cup in history for like excitement every game was a walkover um, apart from every game England played in where we beat South Africa defending a poultry score have never won West that Indies one, defending a poultry score we got beaten by Bangladesh and Ireland uh, defending like 350 or whatever it was awesome we tied were, with India as well tied with India yeah you, um, you could have hit the last ball for two to win it I know, and it went straight to extra cover not straight to extra cover it was a diving stop by Yusuf <laughs> Pathan I think you'll find um, straight to him yeah so I mean yeah we played incredible cricket but I mean let's face it we weren't going to ever win that World Cup did you, is that what you're going into it did you think Look, what? No, of course you Of course you, you thought you, yeah. No, 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 you still think you hope you're going to win it, but um, subconsciously, we, we didn't deserve to win. We weren't one of the best teams. There was always a, oh God, you have to play well to beat Australia. I mean, Australia still had that sort of unbeatable air of arrogance about them then that England have got now. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence, we didn't get your rising star, I don't think. Well, you got yeah, we were talking about this before the show started. And Are there any rising stars at this World Cup? Because everyone, we know about everyone now. So I'm going to go with Alex Carey, the Australian wicketkeeper, who gives it a good whack. I mean, that lovely against he did 31 England, off yeah. 13, something like that, when none of the other Aussies were scoring quicker than a runner ball. Um, he's not Gilchrist, but, and he's, he's not even that young. He's 27, so I've, I've cheated, really. But... But he I think he'll be one to watch. Ages, Lawrence, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a late riser, and I think he'll be uh, he'll be fun to watch. Do we know what his nickname is? I mean, the Aussies aren't great with nicknames, but Kerry. If it's not Ace, Jim Kerry, Ace Ventura. Oh, gotcha, like gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of Aussie in you, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one I used to like was uh, 
Jason Bird, and his nickname was Flu for a while. <laughs> and when they all had their nicknames put on the back of their shirts, the ACB decided that was possibly a little bit too far and <laughs> didn't put it on. All right, Phil, we haven't heard from you. Please don't say England versus India in the final. Uh, all right, England versus... No, all right, OK. Look, it's hard to avoid that, obviously. You know, that is the smart, the smart bet. I, th- I think India are going to win this tournament. Um, I think England are going to run them close. I have a feeling, because these things never quite work out like we want them to, I have a feeling that England and England, India might even meet each other in the semi-final. Uh, and then India's innate self-confidence and our innate national characteristic of anxiety, pessimism, pessimism yeah. glass, half, glass half empty, all that stuff... Um, I fear that I fear that that might happen with England um, if they were to face India. Whenever England face India, I think that India will prevail. That's my, for what it's worth, that's my bet. And the reason being, um, obviously, Kohli's a phenomenon. I think Rohit Sharma is also a one-day phenomenon. They have two brilliant spinners. They have Chahal, the leg spinner, uh, conventional leg spinner, but they also have the the left arm wrist spinner as well, Kuldeep Yadav, who was brilliant here a year or two ago in the ODIs and in the T20s as well. They are. IPL guns those two they will be working I would imagine in tandem for the majority of the tournament it was interesting Morgan actually said to to us a week or so ago that two spinners is absolutely critical to most teams approaches now in modern 50 over cricket they'll be a key they'll be key but also Bumrah as well Bumrah bowled yesterday four overs one for two in a 50 over game Bumrah is far and away probably the most uh, reliable he's the best bowler in the world he's the best seen bowler in the world certainly in 50 over cricket if not in the big stuff as well um, I think you're looking there at three phenomenons, a top-class spin-twin pairing and the innate belief that comes with, with pulling on an Indian shirt. So, so I'm going with India to win it. I'm not going to say England in the final because I'm going to say they're going to meet each other in the semis. And I think New Zealand are my, my third team as well. Now, I don't know how obviously this is going to play out, but uh, I can see New Zealand getting into the semifinals for sure. And then if England and India meet in one, I can see New Zealand scraping through in the other for India to beat them in the final. I'll tell you what, the one area I disagree slightly about the spinners, Kuldeep was brilliant a couple of years ago. Now people have seen him. He had a very poor IPL in comparison because when people were being a bit more circumspect against him, he didn't look dangerous. However, they've got Jadeja, who is, I think, a better one-day bowler than Jahal and Kuldeep at tying it down and, and, and twisting the... the the corkscrew and, and applying pressure I think India are very very strong that's it if England play uh, the Indian spinners like they played Nathan Lyon the other day at the Rose Bowl when they made let, let him have 30 dot balls 30 dot balls in 10 overs of modern one day cricket I mean if, if ever England had to sort of hang on a minute I know it's a practice game but what the hell are you doing that was reverting to type reverting to how my England team used to my England team <laughs> my generation <laughs> team used to play spin you don't let spinners bowl 30 dot balls yeah, you bang on. It did feel a bit like a throwback in those middle overs, didn't it? You know, Stokesy 20 from 31 deliveries, I think it was. Um, my player of the tournament, I, it's going to be Bumrah for me, uh, for the reasons I've just outlined, really. I just think he's pound for pound the best seamer out there. And while it's going to be a tournament heavy with runs, as we know, short boundaries, flat tracks, blah, 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 I also think because of that, the differentials that bowlers are going to offer are going to, going to be all the more important. And I think, I think Bumrah... Uh, is going to be a big, big player in this tournament. Um, so I'm, I'm leaning that way. And, and another seamer as well for my rising star, uh, the Morrissey lookalike, the left armour for Pakistan, Shaheen Shah Afridi, who's 19 years young. He's got a beautiful quiff. 
Uh, and he bowls sharp, bowls really sharp. You know, he can push 90 mile an hour. He's going to go for a few, but he's also going to have, have good days out as well. He's going to get tired, though, because he won't eat meat if he's Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> well, it meat is murder. I just see that, for some reason, almost kind of counterintuitively, I'm gravitating more towards the bowlers because it's just going to be a batsman's tournament, or it's probably going to be a batsman's tournament. So, so you fly the flag for the bowlers because everything is against them. All the conditions are crying out for batsmen just to fill their boots. So you, you hang your hat on the bowlers more, more often than not. So I'm going Bumrah, uh, Shaheen, Shah, Faridi, uh, and India to win it. All right, well, boringly, I'm going to go England-India. I'm going to survive my McGrath wobble, stick with England to win, beat India in the final. My player of the tournament, as much as I hate to say it, I think David Warner's going to have a really good tournament. I think the boos are only going to spur. I just want everyone to just, just let everyone say nothing when he walks out. I think that's to be the... Just relating to those boos, I mean, talk about being thick as two short planks, as in the people who are booing. What are you doing? You are basically being him. You're condemning someone's boorish behaviour by being boorish and people can't see the irony in this you don't but you just ignore him exactly absolute ignorance this guy absolutely wants the limelight he wants notoriety just if you completely ignored him and turn your back on him he's like a kid if you ignore him they just really stop misbehaving is that what would you do that to, to batsmen who you knew relished the, the kind of the fight the, the, the angst and absolutely just, yeah Absolutely. I mean, Justin Langer used to pick a fight with fielders and like the thickest man in the world would be the one who bit back. He'd just walk away. But he'd pick a fight with someone who he knew was stupid enough to do it. David Warner knows that if he st- turns around and stares at a section of the crowd, the ones who are taking their tops off, and, you know, at, at 11 in the morning, they're already bright pink and they're drunk. I mean, you're just playing to him. You, you, so if you're listening and you're English, stop booing. It's not right. It's not and it's clever. not helpful. And it was, to be honest, it's a bit embarrassing as well. I was embarrassed when it happened in a, in a warm-up game in Southampton and for Steve Smith. Just, yeah, it's not us. Stop it. But there's that story about Steve Waugh walking out to bat, I think, at 97 Ashes, maybe at Old Trafford. And England had decided not to sledge him because that seemed to... He'd go out and pick a fight. So he walked out to total silence and he, and he twigged. He said, oh, so you guys aren't saying anything today. And I think Atherton wrote about it. He said, so he sledged himself all the way to 110 in the first innings, 120 in the second. He just wound himself up. So he needed to pick a fight. I think Warner's a bit like that. So maybe he'll sledge himself. Is, is he bright think, enough to do that? I don't think Dave's clever enough to have an argument with himself. <laughs> I think Who'd win? I think he'd forget where he got to. Yeah, left versus right. Oh, get out, mate. No, up. Oh, Reverend, you win. No, boy, you win. Yeah, so our, uh, our host for the daily podcast, Yaz, has visualised Warner scoring a 100 at Lords to win the World Cup final. So I hope it doesn't come to that. That would be too much to bear. But give me a sneezing fit even thinking about it. <laughs> but I do think he'll have a cracking tournament. Um, for my rising star, it's uh, Rashi Khan's deputy, Mujib Uraman, uh, Afghanistan mystery spinner, who played a bit for Hampshire last year in the Blast, so has a bit of experience with English conditions. Um, has got a brilliant record, came through when he was 16. I think the youngest ever to 50 ODI wickets, I think. Um, and if we get a decent summer, which looks hopefully on the cards... Uh, there might be a bit of purchase for the spinners. So he's my he's my tip as a rising star. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, Lawrence, how many teams can we discount from this tournament? Do you think from winning it, I yeah. reckon three, possibly five. It's one massive team who Noel's mentioned, South Africa, who are famous in World Cup for not winning it. Well, I see. I I don't discount them because I don't think enough of their players have suffered the the chokes. I think they think they've moved on from that. But I think you can say Afghanistan, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka won't win it. They might entertain us along the way. They might charm the birds out the trees, as you put it. 
Um, I don't think West Indies will win it. They might. I mean, you know, Chris Gale and Andre Russell may entertain us. I don't see them having the consistency. Um, so I think there's Pakistan. I don't see winning it. So I think five teams are fighting for four semi-final places, probably. Um, so that's yeah. I think it's two two groups of five in a way within that league of ten. Yeah, I I tend to probably go along with you on that one. I just think that such is the nature of this tournament. You saw in '92, Pakistan stunk the place out for two weeks. You know, won one in five, and then stumbled into some form. A few results went their way. A bit of bit of rain around helped them out. Stumbling at the semi-finals, and then it's a shootout from there. So. While I tend to agree with you, and I would go that that's the order, you never know in this kind of tournament. Absolutely. I think because of the format, Pakistan are very, very dangerous for that exact reason. It's why I think the West Indies are as well. I can't see South Africa doing well. There's something inside of me. They've got such a good team on paper. And in Rabada, one of the greatest cricketers in the world, at his age as well. And he's got some steel as well when he, fight, when he plays. I really like him. But there's just something that's not inspiring me at all about South Africa. Maybe it's the AB de Villiers factor um, but there's something that's just South Africa used to be a very intimidating team to look at on paper and this one isn't I think they're, they're, they're growing old together like Hashi Mamala is 36 Dumani's just turned 35 Duplessis 34 you know is that will they have the energy to sustain them throughout I mean Tahir's 40 but he's a brilliant bowler I mean he could he's probably their most dangerous he gets through 10 overs he get 3 for 40 easily well, I mean, those names Amla Duplessis I mean, the big, big names. Yeah, and, and De Kock hasn't even been mentioned. Um, Joe and I are kind of running up against each other, doing some bets over the course of the tournament and so on. And, and De Kock at 18 to 1 uh, to be top run scorer in the tournament. Now, he's a streaky player as well. You know, he has bad times, but when he's on, he's as, he's as hot as you get. And, and he'll be open the batting. As well. He did have a good yeah. IPL. Uh, just looking at his stats just recently, you know, he went 80, 80, 100 in, in a row in the last f- five games ago for South Africa and that's the way that they tend to go with him so there's loads of pedigree in that side but there's always one side that no one ever really mentions no one ever, ever talks about them and I don't know they, they, will, they will be in the mix but I, I think the one thing we all agree on is that Australia can't be ruled out even though this is I think this is as poor an Australian team as I've seen for a long time it's not got the fear factor for me it's got some of the world's best players but I think they're still a bit dishevelled uh, but they're like Germany in the football you just know that they'll be bloody good once it starts and that's pain in me to say it. We, we, were, the, we were there on, uh, on Saturday in Southampton masterful innings wasn't it Steve Smith alright it might be a beer match but it was still a masterful innings don't you think and if he's no, holding I, I it together thought opposite, I thought it was an old fashioned I, I thought that they showed their hand a bit that they've not moved on but he, he, he was, he was 110 from 90, 90 something balls if they don't have the firepower around him and weirdly Maxwell didn't play in that game and Sean Marsh he did bat three. I can't imagine that's going to last much longer. But I thought if Smith can do that job in the middle and they can back themselves around the edges with Stoinis throwing the bat and Maxwell coming into the side, then I think there might be a model there with their quicks. Uh, I tend to agree with you. They, they lack that stardust of the past. Of course they do. But as you say, you can't write them off. i tell you what, the, the one thing he did, I don't think it was a master run. I think it was just a solid knock. It was, but it was a very basic one day in innings that England could not replicate. From, from numbers five downwards in the order. The, the only good thing about that game for me is that the lower middle order were given a chance to win a game. They still should have walked and they couldn't do it because 
they just simply, they reverted to type. The English player cannot get the ball off the square if the boundaries are short and they can't hit it over the top of the fielders. And it was painful to see to me. To watch guys not being able to nerdle an off-spin bowler, part of me absolutely loved it. Part of me detested it because it was an Australian bowl in the off-spin. Yeah, I was, I was slightly concerned about that run chase because they, they needed something like 60 off 10 with five wickets in hand and Moeen sticks it straight down long on throat. And why, they, they didn't seem very sensible. I mean, as, as Swanee said, I reckon five to nine each had a chance to win the game. It was like, right, here's the responsibility, finish it off. They're only chasing 298. I mean, they knocked off 350 against Pakistan a couple of times. I know the pitch was a bit sort of grabbier than the, the surfaces they played on against Pakistan. But they didn't have the batting depth either, did they, in that, the few they injuries? They didn't have the depth, but they, yeah. they should have knocked that off. You know, and it was an old-fashioned one-day innings from Smith. It was basically a runner ball. Uh, they, uh, they, even with 100 off the last 10 overs or whatever it was they got, 80 or 90, they still didn't get 300. So, you know, that was a, it was an insight. Stoinis comes in and gets seven off 17, can't get the ball off the square. Smith, the running between the wickets was poor. It needed Carey, 31 off 13, to actually get them up there. So, but then, yeah, if Warner has a good tournament. Well, it just feels for the, the power play seems more vital for Australia than almost any other team with bat and ball. And that if Finch, Warner, possibly Kawaja get them off to a flyer, then the rest of the players can build around them. And the same with a new ball, if Stark and Cummins can make some early breakthroughs. If those things don't happen, if they lose early wickets or Cummins and Stark don't take early wickets, you're not convinced by the backup. They haven't got a world-class spinner. That middle order can look a bit pedestrian. They're not excited to me, this Australian team. The Aussies have always been excited from the days of Warren. And there's always a batsman who you just love to watch. I'm not excited by this Australian team. David Warner is not batting like Warner can because he's a bit like Stokes. He's trying to be sort of show that he's more sensible. He's not taking the risks he used to. He's scoring a lot of runs, but they don't excite me at all. Maybe it's just because I'm English and I really deep down don't like to see Australia do well. But this team, and I'm with Glenn McGrath, England are favourites. Yeah, uh, Echo, just wanted to add just briefly, Coley said something interesting last week that the longer the tournament goes on, the, the, the lower the scores will, will become. You know, and while we'll go out in a blaze of glory initially, there will be a reduction as the pressure begins to tell. And that's when a Smith innings of 110 and 100 balls might look slightly anachronistic, but then that starts to become all the more valuable. And that's when you show your, your guts and your balls and your game sense and so on. Um, it's for that kind of pedigree that I can't discount the Australians and obviously... There's the English it shows the beer at well. is more of a thinker than you you give well, him credit for. That's that's very astute from him. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. England, on. England have to keep the madness going. Basically, you know, they they almost you, you almost back them more to chase three fifty than two fifty. So they don't want to get into these dog fights. I mean, the pitches should all be good because they're all be fresh. It's not being like the Champions Trophy two years ago where they turn up at Cardiff and it's slow and low and they think and they get spooked by it. If, if they're good pitches, England should be fine. If they if they stick to their guns, don't get involved in two fifty dogfights. Don't think about it. If England start thinking, they're screwed. Because, like I said earlier, this is not exactly a university challenge team. We're putting out to play. Morgie aside, I think Owen's got a very astute, very clever mind. And shot. I don't think the rest of them can spell their own names, and that's it. That, that and I mean that in a good way. Over the course of the tournament, we'll be hearing from Betfair's betting experts, who'll be giving us a guiding hand and telling us where the smart money lies. Earlier, Phil caught up with betting expert Paul Krishnamurti for a beginner's guide on the Betfair Exchange and for some pre-tournament tips. Okay, I'm here with Paul uh, Krishnamurti, freelance journalist and professional gambler uh, and political analyst for Betfair Exchange as well as um, uh, died-in-the-wall cricket tragic. Um, Paul, first of all, uh, 
how big a tournament is this for a gambler such as yourself? And, and then we'll come to what you're looking for, um, specific tournament bets and, of course, match bets over the next few days and your reasoning behind them. If, personally, this is as big a tournament as it ever gets because I prefer 50 over cricket to the other formats. Um, you know, it would be alongside the IPL, perhaps. But I think this is actually bigger. This And with it being in England and with such expectation about England, it's probably going to be the biggest gambling cricket event i can ever remember right okay well let's get cracking then um your tournament bets you've got you've got three or four to talk me through uh from the top uh new zealand at 11 to 1 so explain your thinking here well so first of all we're looking simply to get into the last four and England are one of those teams i'm sure but i'm quite happy to take on india and australia at this stage and New Zealand are always under, underrated. Every limited overs tournament I can ever remember, they have been underrated. Mm-hmm. They've got the best captain. They've got one of the best bowlers in Trent Bolt and a very uh, a strong bowling lineup with both pace and spin. Mm-hmm. Um, I like their middle order a lot. I like the Williamson, Taylor, Henry Nichols triumvirate there. I think that will that will secure big totals in most games. And I don't really think they should really fear anybody mm-hmm. anymore. They've improved. So good value then at eleven to one. And you mentioned Trent Bolt as well. Uh, mm. you're, you're veering that way as well at sixteens to be top wicket taker uh, each way at sixteen to one for the whole tournament. Yeah. Well, now, I mean Trent Bolt has got one of the very best records in fifty over cricket over the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. I'm surprised to see him at sixteen to one. To be perfectly honest, I think if he was playing for England, he'd be favourite. He'd be seven or eight to one. Um, he started and he showed once again on Saturday against India that he's absolutely perfect for Indian English conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, quick swings it both ways. I think he, there will be at least two or three superb innings from him that will put him right up the top of the wicket charts. Um, absolutely. All right, a couple of couple of funkier bets here uh, that you've got lined up. Tournament sixes. Talk yeah. me through this. So, the line has gone up to 505 now. Um, if you look at the historic average in the last four or five years in England, you average about 10 sixes a game, which would get you to about 480. But everything we're seeing with the trends in the game suggests we're going to see more. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've now reached a point where as you saw in the IPL, that every Thailander can hit sixes now. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like every last couple of overs goes for 17, 18 and over. Um, I think that the cha- England have set the challenge to the other sides, mm-hmm. that they're going to go and have to look towards score 400 and, and they'll go for it. And I think that, that I, I do expect that the historic averages for fours and sixes would go right up this year. So you're saying 505 tournament sixes at five to six, bet over that. 505 over five and a half. Okay, good stuff. And finally, uh, the wooden spoonists. This is for your tournament bets. So Sri Lanka to finish bottom at five to two. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is going to be a theme throughout my whole tournament, which is to oppose Sri Lanka. Okay. Um, so, first of all, just regarding that, that bet, realistically, I don't think you could consider more than three or four teams in contention to finish bottom because mm-hmm. the form book will stand up over the games. Mm-hmm. So, Afghanistan are odds on. And what we then have to ask is, 
are Afghanistan an inferior side to Sri Lanka? Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, they played in the Asia Cup in September, and I backed Afghanistan at a very good price. They, they won very, very easily. Yep, yep. And I can't help but think that Sri Lanka are priced now on the, the great side they've had for sort of 10 to 20 years, but they've all gone now. Mm-hmm. Sangakara, Jaya Ward, not all gone now. And really, it's Lassif Malinga, mm-hmm. who's probably past his best. Okay, I like that, 5-2. to two. Uh, Moving on then to the match bets and your reasoning behind that. So England, England, South Africa, obviously, we're kicking off on Thursday. Um, talk me through your what you're looking for and, and maybe just explain, for a layman such as myself, the, the, the nature of the exchange, the Betfair exchange, and how you're looking to work it. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, this will be really my strategy in a game-by-game thing will be to bet in running during all these games. Mm-hmm. So, so just... Uh, on the most basic level, let's imagine a perfectly 50-50 game, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the betting on the exchange, the match odds, would be 2.0, 2.0 either side, both equating to 50%. Mm-hmm. Now, every time, the, every ball, every dot ball, every four, every six, every wicket will impact the market significantly. Yep. Right? So those odds are moving back and forth all day long. So if I were to buy back a team at evens or effectively buy them at 50% mm-hmm. if they start well and they get to say 50 for naught, 70 for naught, and the odds would then go into say 1.6 1.7 around the sort of 65 70% mark and at that point I'd have the option to cash out mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. cash out for profit likewise if the team went the other way I could cash out and restrict my losses yep. so you can do that throughout Another thing, that the main thing that I do is runs, first innings runs. And so to take the explanation of the last market, the match odds, here rather than having the match odds, you have uh, betting on a series of run lines. So for example, 300 or more, mm-hmm. 310 or more, 320 or more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And likewise, that they will move with every ball, pretty much. Yep. And... Being the oval, I think the oval's a very good run scoring ground. You get a lot of twos and threes. Mm-hmm. It seems quite easy to build up a 320, 330 score. So, certainly in the oval games, it might be worth backing the team batting first to score, let's say, 310, 320, which would probably be the par. Yep. Say so back that at evens. Yep. And then at some point in the game, try and sell that back at a shorter price mm-hmm. one of the higher bands at 330 or 340 mm-hmm. ensuring that firstly you're going to make a small profit and if it finishes in that 320 to 340 bands you know you've won big yep. both bets all alright I like that for the oval um, moving, moving on just to one or two other games as well that, yeah. that are upcoming Pakistan West Indies you're saying it's just going to be a run fest that oh yeah now this is a Trent Bridge and this with the exception of Tournament, perhaps, is the absolute best place to back runs. I mean, the last six matches there, you've with one ODIs there, we've seen 344 times mm-hmm. and 440 and 481, so anything could happen there. Yep. And then and then we look at these sides, Pakistan and West Indies. You know, the West Indies batting lineup is outrageous at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even the less, even the up and comers, the Shea Hopes and the um, Shipman Hetmyers look like superstars. Yep. 
You've got Dan and Lewis up top. You've got Russell finishing. Um, and Pakistan also, their top three is has an excellent strike rate. And they showed against England they didn't hit less than 297. They're yeah. a strong batting side. So I will be looking in that match to probably back, back over the sixes line. There's no price up yet, but I, I think it was a par line will be about 12 and a half. All right, so great stuff. Maybe 13 sixes in the game. All right. One more then from the next uh, couple of games coming up. Um, we've got New Zealand, Sri Lanka, and you're saying man of the match, Trent Bolt, 14 to 1, which is one that's a seriously good price. Outside of Lockie Ferguson at 20 to 1 as well. And you're thinking, as you said earlier, Sri Lanka are going to be skittled. This is, this is great stuff, Paul. Thanks ever so much. Um, we'll be coming back to you over the course of the World Cup as well. Uh, for your, your tip bits and insights. Um, as for now, just bear in mind, folks, the best odds on cricket throughout all cricket tournaments so far in 2019 have been found on the Betfair Exchange. Um, Paul, thanks a lot, mate, and best of luck with the tournament. Thank you. Pleasure. Armed with Paul's expertise and £100 kindly donated by Betfair, during the World Cup, Phil and I will be going head-to-head -head in a betting challenge with all... Race to the bottom. <laughs> race to the bottom. Well, I was going to say, with all proceeds on the off chance that there actually are any, uh, going to Chance to Shine, the charity that's helping cr put cricket back into state schools. Um, so we've each picked three bets, uh, which will last for the duration of the tournament, uh, and three for the games coming up this week. So, Phil, uh, hit me with your, your tournament bets. Uh, okay, well, the one that's jumped out at me, this is from the sportsbook uh, side of Betfair. Uh, it's, a, it's a double. It's Root and England at 33-1. to 1. So Root to be top run scorer in the tournament and England to win it. I think if England are going to win it, then I think Joe Root is going to be very, very high up in that list. I can make arguments for Jason Roy and Johnny Bairstow to outscore Root, but my feeling is that those two have been given absolute liberation just to go and play as they play, which I think is going to result in... 60 on Tuesday, a naught on Thursday, a 100 on Sunday, and then a 5 on Tuesday. But I see Root just, just churning them out day after day. He can hide in be behind one of those two, uh, and he can play slow heartbeat cricket. So I can just see those. That's a double that I really fancy, 33-1 to one, Root in England. Um, Quinton de Kock most runs. This is on uh, the, the exchange. Quinton de Kock most runs at 20. He'll be opening the batting for South Africa. That's a decent bet, isn't it? It's tasty. Um the, the logic would say, obviously, if you're batting the top three, then you're going you're to be bothering the, the run scorers' charts. Um, I fancy De Kock. He's in form. He had a brilliant IPL. He had a very good run over the winter for South Africa. Uh, and as you know, you know, there is no more talented ball striker out there. His record in, in, in England isn't actually that great, so that might be a slight, slight black mark against him. But, but I think he's, he's as good as there is out there, really, when he gets going. And the other one, in a similar ilk, is Rohit Sharma at 20s. Now, Rohit Sharma... Um, when he gets in, he goes really big. You know, he's, he's what, hit, is it two or three double double Three centuries? double hundreds, I think. Three double hundreds, uh, which is obviously extraordinary. The only person to make multiple double hundreds in, in one-day cricket. Um, he likes playing in England. He, he was good in the Champions Trophy two years ago. Uh, and he opens the batting for India. And he's also an absolute dreamboat of a, of a batsman. So, so I fancy that. There's, there's three batting-based tournament bets for you there. Um, okay. Well, they they all sound kind of on on the mark to me. Not that I ever win any money on this thing. So so that's probably not a good not a good sign. My three uh, for the tournament. Uh, despite what you say about Joe Root, I think I think it's going to be an opener who, who gets this. I think over the so many games to play, so many overs for the openers to bat. So I'm going with Jason Roy, having watched him thump Afghanistan all over the Oval uh, a couple of days ago. 
uh, to be my top tournament run scorer at 13 on the exchange. Going to st stick a fiver on that. Lovely. Uh, Pat Cummins to be top tournament wicket taker. Mm. He's been in unbelievable form across all formats over the last year, 18 months. Uh, English pitches should suit him. I think pace is going to be key. Uh, he'll get the new ball, which is when you might get a little bit of movement, not that it's going to last for long. So I've got Cummins in at 17.5 on exchange, which yeah, I think is pretty, very pretty decent. Fiver on that. Uh, and then to finish bottom of the group stage, I've gone with Sri Lanka, who to me, um, I've always liked watching Sri Lanka over the years, so I hope I'm wrong on this, but they look a complete mess. The squad's all over the shop. Um, Rumours of infighting. There's some of their best players seem to be left at home. You've got Karuna Ratne captaining a side despite not playing the format for four years. And he's a he's an excellent test batsman, but he's he's not really an ODI opener. So I think, yeah, I think Sri Lanka pipping uh, Afghanistan and Bangladesh to the to the bottom spot there. And that's uh, 3.6 on the exchange. Uh, and I put a tenner on that, going going big on that, on that one. So significant liability then if Sri Lanka were to go and win it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I can't see that happening. I think Sri Lanka are going to struggle. Uh, Phil, and you put on three bets for uh, matches over the next week. What are yeah, they? so looking at just the first weekend of games really and then we'll come next week to the next round. Um, I like I like Shea Hope at 16-5 to five on the on Sportsbook against Pakistan. I think he'll, he'll slip in there at three or four for the West Indies. Um, his one-day form over the last six to 12 months has been outstanding. He's probably their standout player, their most reliable player. And, and, and I quite fancy that one. That, that game takes place on the Friday at West Indies, Pakistan. So 16 to 5, Shay Hope. Um, a double 14 to 1 in the England-South Africa game of Bairstow and De Kock. So, again, going back to the point about opening batsmen, on a flat track at the Oval, Bairstow likes batting at the Oval. It looked a belter against Afghanistan as well. That was almost... Afghanistan just kept playing their shots because yeah. it was such a good pitch. So I think that's... That, yeah. Yeah, and the oval track as well, De Kock is going to love it at, at the oval because, you know, he likes pace on the ball, as does Best, though. They can play through the line. So I fancy those two to double up. And a bit of an outsider as well, but Dan and Jaya De Silva, the, the Sri Lankan middle-order player, 9-1 sure. to one to be top-run scorer against New Zealand. I see now, where you're coming from. Yeah, there. so he'll be batting six or seven in that side. Yeah. He certainly was in the, in the warm-up game. Um, you can easily see Sri Lanka struggling a little bit up top against Bolt and Southie and so on. And then there being a kind of broadly pointless uh, middle order resurgence, you know, for a few overs. And Dan Ajayar, he's a good player. Um, he's a resourceful kind of cricketer. So maybe there's a long that shot. One. I like that. Yeah, Not who's gone with an opener bashing no, a load of runs. No, That's, okay. There's a nine to one up to try and shore up a pretty listing ship. Yourself? Okay, well, uh, from the same match, I've gone Trent Bolt to be player of the match against Sri Lanka for similar reasons that you just gave a kind of flaky Sri Lankan top order, ball doing a bit. Um, and that's, I think that's stealing Paul's tip as well actually I'm trying to make myself sound knowledgeable I'm just basically saying what he said yep. uh, at 14 to 1 on Sportsbook that is very tasty uh, yeah I like that one and then West Indies to beat Pakistan at 2.2 on the exchange I think Pakistan I think they might do something in this tournament but I think they are going to start slowly they didn't, their bowling looked all over the shop against England their fielding was, was hopeless and West Indies um, I feel like they're going to start with a Start big and then perhaps fade away. Um, but I'd, I think Gale against that that Pakistan bowling lineup could have a could have a field day. And then in the England game, the first game on Thursday, uh, Joss Butler, top England run scorer uh, against South Africa, nine to two on Sportsbook. Um, I think I mean I think England's top order will get off to a flyer, but I, I could see South Africa got that good pace attack. I could see them being three for a hundred and then Butler going big big towards the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so nine to two on Sportsbook for that one. Smashing stuff. Uh, Betfair Exchange, best odds on all cricket tournaments so far in 2019. Um, and please, 
bet responsibly. Um, well, that seems a good place to end it. England need to stay crazy and stop thinking or continue not thinking. Yep, absolutely. England um, to win, Australia to be knocked out in the first round, even though there's not a knockout in the first round. <laughs> um, so thanks so much for coming on. This, this has been the Wisden Cricket Extra podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, Phil and I are recording straight after England's second match against Pakistan at Trent Bridge. Before then, you can listen to the Wisdom Cricket Daily podcast, the first of which will be out on Friday morning, reacting to England against Africa. And I believe we'll have Niall O'Brien, Ireland's World Cup hero, on that show. Don't forget to subscribe uh, through all the usual channels. Sports Social Podcast Network.